Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you as we've read in Ephesians 2, as it even goes on in Ephesians 3, that we are your masterpiece, that you love creation. And we see a world that wants to take the masterpiece of God's design and pervert it, twist it, defamate it, abuse it. God, let us be Christians who understand we've been given this gift of new life, of salvation, saved by your grace through faith. But not just for empty and voidless life, but for a life littered with good works. We're saved for something. We're saved to do something, to be something, and we're a masterpiece. And God, the world needs to see the divine artist needs to see your truth. God, I pray in a time and a day as we see the headwinds of evil, as we see the headwinds of darkness, of wickedness, of unrighteousness, that we be image bearers, that the Holy Spirit is the bondage breaker. And I am tired of seeing the image of God in bondage. I am tired of seeing a month that celebrates a month of bondage. Holy Spirit, we need your bondage-breaking power in the earth again, in the church again, that souls be set free, that lives be changed, that perversion be corrected. We thank you as Paul addressed the issues in the church. The old sinful nature was coming back up. They were engaging in past lifestyles that they were saved and healed and delivered from. And he said, such were some of you. Jesus, we understand that the church is for the disciple. But we live in a world where then we have to go out and disciple to reclaim some things, to redeem some things. And today, We want to reclaim the rainbow. This is your sign of mercy. This is your sign of deliverance. That sin was punished. That sin was absorbed. We thank you for Jesus today that he is the one, the greater one who absorbed our sin, who took our sin on the cross and gave us his life, his goodness, his righteousness. And today, Father, we pray that the goodness of God run after those that are lost, run after the homosexual, run after the transgender, run after those that are confused and disordered by vices and desires that are fallen and broken. We need the goodness of God on display in our lives. Jesus, let us not affirm something that you never call us to affirm and let us not get angry at something that we're not called to be angry and hateful at but let us be Jesus to the world 
full of righteousness, full of we love you so much we cannot affirm a lie. So Father, we thank you today that your word is clear. God, let us be a church that isn't about getting a crowd in the doors by preaching a message like Timothy talks where your ears get tickled. But God, we stand on the word of God and on the truth. I pray I never give malpractice with the scriptures and your word. I don't have that luxury. So Father, I pray you take my words, conform them in the image of Jesus. Holy Spirit, convict, inspire, transform, rebuke. Do all the things you do best and break the bondage of bad theology. Break the bondage of the lies we've believed. Jesus, let us be a church where bondage is broken, not where bondage is coddled, not where bondage is tickled, not where bondage is petted to get you through another hard week. No, there is deliverance available in Jesus Christ. He is Lord, and he is powerful, and his blood is still working, and his spirit is here drawing and convicting. In Jesus' mighty, powerful name we pray. Everybody said... Amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated today and welcome all those who are watching online. If we're still on YouTube by now, that would be great. So if you're here still watching online, welcome. So thankful. This is a, a, a great time of year. Many of you get a great vacation, lots of vacations. I know we have many that are back from vacations Jordan and Caitlin, we missed you guys for two weeks. Welcome back. We love you guys and your heart for the church. And many of you serve and, and pour your life and your heart into, um, you know, building the church to your family. And I'm always thankful we got a quick five days uh, on vacation and some rest and just thankful to be back in God's house. Never left, but um, God's house, but here we are. And... Uh, it's going to be a good day, and we're in a series on walking in the Spirit. Have you been blessed? Have you been offended? You can say yes. Um, that's not bad. If you're not in church where something doesn't get wrestling, you, you don't engage in saying, maybe there's something I don't quite know or quite see. And a good pastor, a good leader, and I always appreciated this about Pastor Joyce, speaks to the Spirit of what is motivating something. Throughout this series, we are not mad at the person. We are not hateful. We are not discriminating. We are not bigoted. We are not homophobic. But we are looking at the spirit of what is motivating the issues of our day, the issues of our culture. You gotta understand that culture is not Christian. So unchristian things are gonna happen in our culture. But we as Christians are engaging in culture. So we've gotta know how do we respond, how do we act, how do we have a biblical lens and a biblical worldview and don't cower to something because of pressure, because of the potential of you being demonetized, you being deplatformed, you being canceled, whatever the, the uh, issue may be or the consequence on the other side of you standing up for Christ and for his word and for his church. But today I want to talk about something uh, on reclaiming the rainbow that we see the symbol or the icon of Pride Month is a rainbow. 
And if you know anything about this, you would know that the rainbow doesn't belong to the LGBTQ, and I'm going to say the alphabet community, not because I'm being mean, but because it changes regularly and letters are added every month. So the alphabet community um, is always changing, and they've taken something that is God's, and they've taken something designed of God with deep symbolic meaning um, that appears in the sky after a rain, right? We see and we're reminded of God's mercy, of his compassion, and of his goodness. So coupled with dealing with Galatians 5.16, which I've kind of taken as the underlying scripture of our series, is it says, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And please understand as we are in a month of pride, it's always easy to throw stones and judge the sexual sin that you are not struggling with or that you are not dealing with or that you don't have people in your family that are dealing with. So God abhors all sexual sin, all fornication, not just homosexuality. But to be fair, we do live in a culture and society where it has been greatly agendicized, that there is agenda at play, and we cannot be um, ignorant to the fact of where we love people, but there is also an agenda And as I've stated through this series, it is very much targeting our children. And it's very much indoctrinating our children. And as a father of three, almost four, it puts a fire in me to protect your children, to be a place where I can't control what goes on out there, but I am a steward and a servant of what happens here. And we have a a gift of a vision, a gift of a house where we can educate our children, where we can educate in the house of God, where you can get truth in love and you can be given good doctrine and everything you have need of to not just be a good Christian, but how to be a Christian to go into a world that is non-Christian, that doesn't understand and goes off the lowest version of a Christian, of when a Christian walks in the room nowadays, it's you're hateful, you're bigoted, um, I don't respect anything you have to say because you believe in some crazy, you're some crazy religious fanatic. But Philippians 3.19 speaks into this um, of how the Holy Spirit is a bondage breaker. And I want to say, if you want to experience bondage breaking power in your life, sometimes we think, if I can just get the laying on of hands, though that does happen and that, that does work, if I can get in some fire tunnel if you're Pentecostal, then there can be this breaking that happens in my life. Now, God works through those avenues, but I want to tell you today, this is the harder part because it it, brings it back to you and it brings it back to me, is you have to crucify your cravings. You've got to crucify your cravings. You've got to crucify your appetites. This is why the center of our faith is a cross, because it is a cross-centered life. The scripture says this. It says, and I think this prophetically speaks to the movement we see at play in the alphabet community. It says that they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. King James says their end is destruction, whose God is their belly. Isn't this amazing? So many times Paul refers to these appetites, the belly, the cravings, your passions we've been talking about, 
that you've got to crucify the passions, you've got to crucify the cravings, and any agenda, any movement that says we throw off all restraint, and now we live out of our belly, we live out of our passions, we live out of our sexuality, and know this as a Christian, you are never defined by your sexuality. Just like you can't be a gay Christian, you cannot even be an angry Christian, a spiteful Christian. You can add things to being a Christian. It's either all in or all out. So it's saying that when you live an uncrucified life of your cravings and your passions, your end will be destruction. Your God is your belly, and you glory in shame, and you set your mind on earthly things. So we see Scripture is clear about this, but for some reason the church hiccups quite regularly on this. They don't speak about it. I can tell you in pastor circles I'm in, pastor friends are not preaching on these things on Sunday mornings from the pulpit because there is fear. Um, There's fear of what are people going to think? Am I going to lose Instagram followers? Quite frankly, the fear doesn't even add up um, or the risk of what you're going to lose. I, I've had, and when I've gone into ministry, I made a, a commitment about seven years ago now that I've been in this, that I'm going to have the mindset of the martyrs, that when I signed up for this, am I really willing to die for it? Die of my reputation, of what some might say, die of um, comfort or a lifestyle uh, that could be lost because of standing for truth. And so stepping into this, and even as we see the vision taking a new um, highway as we're building, as we're growing, is I don't want to just build a church and say, here's 300 extra seats, we're the shiny new thing, now let's see people show up. I want people to show up because there is a remnant here who loves truth, that there's a remnant in northern Kentucky and for wherever and whoever who comes not because of a program, not because of an Easter egg hunt, though we do these things and we love these things, but they come because the Spirit of God has led them there. This is a part of why we are a gathering place. I love reading in the book of Acts. It talks about Solomon's porch. Solomon's porch was a place outside of the temple where the Gentiles as the church was forming and it was starting to get its structure as they would literally go in front of the Pharisees, in front of those who wanted to see Christianity squelched in its early beginnings. They would gather in Solomon's porch. They would praise, they would worship. And the scripture shows where the apostles would then come back after they had went out. They were bruised, beaten, spit on, called names, every name in the book. They would come back worn out. They would come and worship. Miracles would happen. Then they would be sent back out. I pray we're like a Solomon's porch, that that kind of gathering place would, take, would happen. So hear this today. When progressive leftists say inclusivity, love, and tolerance, what they really mean is sexual perversion, rejecting God and people cutting their body parts and turning the world into a sinful sex city of Sodom and Gomorrah. I want to say this. America is Sodom and Gomorrah 2.0. This is the culture we live in. They are not after just the tolerance of sin, but the celebration of sin. You have to bend the knee and worship the sex god of the LGBTQ alphabet community cultic religion. This is the place we're at. This is the season we're in. So we see that the West is becoming Sodom and Gomorrah. 
where sexual perversion is the spiritual sacrament of our time. And Pride Month is the state-funded holy pilgrimage where people get to reject God, cut their body parts, and indoctrinate little children by robbing their innocence. You see, as a parent, your main goal and as a grandparent is to protect your children's innocence. There should never be a conversation um, in Please understand if there's young children in here, this message is not sanitized today. Uh, so if they need to go into kids' ministry, that's why we have it. But I don't want to sanitize something that needs to be said like it is. Amen? So as parents, as grandparents, as a church, it should be the safest place. But look how the enemy works too. And to throw some shade, uh, we even see this week as I was looking at news headlines, the Catholic Church at the Vatican, had a, a celebration, not necessarily called Pride, but its own version of a celebration. And they brought all of these children out. And after these children sang a song, then they invited a openly homosexual dancer, shirtless, who did an interpretive dance in front of the Vatican. So please understand that this is um, the agenda of this movement isn't just to tear large institutions down like the Catholic Church. It is to pervert it, make it progressive and liberal, and try to diminish and lower the standard of what is the highest moral authority on a global schedule or a global view. So understand that they're not trying to shut the church up. They're trying to pervert it to where it sends a different message. This is the world we live in. And this is why you have to be very cut and dry like I'm trying to be today and not mix words because the enemy plays into that and plays on that. So should Christians celebrate Pride Month? The answer is no. God hates pride and God resists the prideful. Pride is man claiming to be the creator instead of submitting as the created. Sex, sexuality, and gender are not social constructs. They're God-designed and God-decided. You do not get to choose your gender and sexual preference. I'm going to say this in the camera. You do not get to choose your gender and sexual preference. God already decided that for you before you were born. This is how good God is. He knows what is best for us. Gender is not decided. It is discovered. So when it's discovered, it comes at an age not in kindergarten, first or second grade, when they should be learning about PE and math, not sexual orientation. And again, we might not see this on a large scale, but this is what is coming down the pipeline if we don't stand up, we don't say something about it. I'm a part of a pastor's group called Watch Watchman Pastors, and they educate pastors to get involved in school boards where they go before these school boards and they um, bring out these issues, and they get parents, and they get uh, uh, advocates that want to go in and, and advocate for children' health and, and, and children um, not being indoctrinated by these topics and issues. And so it encourages me that as we see America on the decline that it is, is it's hard to say, how can our country not be judged? Would everyone agree with this? From the issues of pride movement to the issues of abortion, in our nation alone, 60 million babies have been murdered in the womb. To put it into perspective, Hitler 
during the world wars murdered 6 million Jews. And we've seen 60 million babies murdered in the womb. So how as a nation, just on that alone, can we call ourselves a Christian nation anymore? And as you look at the laws being put into place, we have to understand that, and this is me thinking through it, is God might not necessarily save America, but what he is doing is saving Americans. You look at world history, when Rome turned from God, the empire of Rome no longer exists. The Greek culture, these great powerhouses, they no longer exist when they turned their back on God. God took their superpower status. And so we've got to understand that just because God is patient doesn't mean this is his approval. The ark took 120 years in the days of Noah to be built. So he gave them 120 years to repent, to make a change, to see that, okay, something is coming. This ark is being formed. Maybe Noah and his family aren't all crazy as they were speculated to be. And keep in mind, Noah was right and everyone else was wrong. Eight people were saved on the ark and the entire earth was destroyed. And here's where we see the rainbow of God's sovereignty. But understand that the rainbow was given after sin was punished. It was not given before sin was dealt with in that day and in that time. And here's at the end of the day, and this is why pastors stay silent, because truth will either either trigger you or it will transform you. It will either trigger you and transform you. And if many pastors can stay away from the triggering side of things, then we can just have an ebb and flow. We can all coexist together. But I'm not interested in building some crowd that everyone has so many different beliefs and opinions on. It's, it's idiocracy, whatever the word is. You're tracking with me. So either truth will trigger you or transform you, and I want truth to transform us. So in reclaiming the rainbow, you have to look at these um, old demons, but with new names. The Bible is a story of not what did happen, but what is always happening. So there's old demons with new names, amen? And in these old demons, you go into the book of, or the Old Testament, Leviticus, Exodus, speaks of these names of old demons, some being Baal, um, others being uh, in relation that came after Baal, Ishtar, and then you also see um, Moloch. And Baal can be summed up as a god who operated in the spirit of it's your own truth. You can, truth is abstract, it's, it's fluid, you can define whatever you want. And it, in that, again, just giving you a quick timeline, then an Ishtar comes onto the scene, and Ishtar was a goddess of seduction and perversion, if you look at what she did in the scriptures. And as Ishtar comes, and then Molech comes, who was a god of child sacrifice. So you have to look at today with the sexual revolution in our country. If you have one where love can be love and can be completely defined and redefined as you see fit, not by what God's word says, then if love is love, it, it, it comes in through a seductive, perverted understanding, then what happens is when God is replaced and what we're seeing through this whole movement is now sex becomes God, 
where sex is created and is to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. But now when God is replaced, sex becomes God, and now sex is worshiped, and every religion has to have a sacrifice. And when you look into the scriptures, the God of Moloch was a God of child sacrifice. And as you study it, what you would find is that they would bring, uh, because Israel was always torn between serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or serving pagan idols. And when you look at the scripture, there's always points of where Israel's in this tension, are we going to serve and worship God, or are we going to get caught up in sexual idolatry? Because anytime there's idolatry, there's always sexual perversion at play in that idolatry. So you would see this God of Moloch come onto the scene, and uh, they were promised if you give your firstborn, if you give your child to this God, that you would be promised fertility from this day forward, you would be promised fertile land and prosperity. So they would sacrifice their children uh, to this God in order to get something from it. And today in this day and age, it's hard not to see these same demons and these same gods with new names. You could say the same God um, of Moloch can be transformed in today's culture as a Planned Parenthood, as abortion rights, as all of these um, child sacrifice taking place. Because at the core of, uh, of being um, self-absorbed or um, around the topic of abortion is here I have an unplanned pregnancy. Here I have something that uh, most likely happened to me that I didn't expect. So what is my first option? It's just to get rid of it, to give it up. And not just adopt it, but to abort it, to kill the baby, even up to nine months still in the womb. So in the days of Scripture where we see with Moloch, the babies were given outside the womb and placed in the hands and burned alive and be watched. And because of the violence was so vicious, it was said that they would play the drum and the horn as loud as can be to drown out the screaming of the child being burned alive. So the Bible is not silent on these things. There are spirits and there are demonic principalities that are behind what we see today. And you cannot be deceived because what the enemy will do is he will always change the name of something. He will water it down and, and, and make it seem like a woman's right, right? No, you are killing an unborn child. So we've got to understand and not be deceived and understand that there are old demons with new days that still operate in our society. And what happens is when the church is doing its job and the church in this space of being on earth is known as the church militant, the scripture says that the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violence take it by force. Does that mean you go get your gun out of your safe and you start shooting? No. What it does mean is you have to be violent with the cravings and the desires and the passions that are within you. That is what has to be crucified. That is what you have to war against and be violent with. And so today, we no longer war with anything within us. We want to be coddled. We want to be in a safe place. We want to be affirmed. 
We want our truth to be heard. And we don't go to war with the cravings within us that want to lead us to destruction. Anyone who said being a Christian is a crutch has never read these scriptures because this is, this is what we are beckoned and called by God to do. So we have changed a God who is love for love who is God. Where love is seen is God in our culture and society. And love is defined by whatever you want to define and who you want to love and how you want to love them. Scripture gives us the guidelines. We talked about this in week one. First off, love is not proud. Being proud is never anywhere in the equation of truly loving and being loved. So in this, we've got to see too is that God cares deeply about your children and our children. And there can be scriptures we can miss. In any agenda, be it pride, abortion, any issue of our day that comes for children, Jesus, our sweet, precious Jesus, has very strong words to say. And this is what puts God's fear in me, is the scripture I'm about to read to you, because these are not to be taken lightly. Jesus says this, Matthew 18. He says, but if you cause one, just one, if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone, a massive half-ton piece of concrete tied around your neck and that you be drowned into the depths of the sea. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? So you look at this, and again, something that is so celebrated, our Lord Jesus is over here having a funeral for. This is how deceptive, and this is why these two, one sex religion and Christianity are so far apart, but the movement tries to think, no, we all love each other. We all uh, are in the same boat and in the same conversation where, no, you've taken the cross and removed it from love because the cross is the only thing that will ever equal love. And if the cross is not present, if the cross is not the axis of what everything turns around, this is not a movement of love. So Jesus speaks very clearly to this that there is judgment for those who rob the innocence of children, who cause them to sin. And we have institutions in our country and we have churches that are perverted who have priests and pastors who should never be in the ministry who have abused children. When the enemy, where would he go and what would he love to pervert more than anything? The place the gospel should be preached, the place that should be the safest. So churches are not exempt from this. But he said, not one. Children are precious to God. And any agenda or plan that seeks for children to be confused at a young, tender age should be called out, should be damnable, and should not be tolerated. Amen?
children need to be protected. When you look at and you study um, lions and their in their pride and in their packs and how they hunt and how they seek. When they hunt the gazelle, uh, studies would show us that they take time to observe and try to find the weakest gazelle in the pack, try to find the youngest gazelle in the pack. And so when a spirit wants to attack its prey, it always goes for the youngest, the most weakest, and the most vulnerable. And this is what we are seeing in our day and in our culture and in our time. Because the homosexual LGBTQ alphabet movement, it cannot produce its own. It can only brainwash. It can only indoctrinate into this theology. They cannot have children of their own. So where do they come? They come after your children. You know, there's this parody song, and I read this last year, but I think it speaks to, because some will say, well, pastor, why do you say it's an agenda? Why do you say that there's this um, movement behind going for kids? Well, there was this parody song done by the San Francisco Gay Man's Choir, and again, it was supposed to be humorous on their point, on their side, but how many of us know there's always truth in humor? You ever said something, then you laughed, and you said, just kidding, well, no, you were actually serious. Here's what they said. They said, you say we all lead lives you don't respect, but you're just frightened. You think we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Funny, just this once, you are correct. We'll convert your children, happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. Just like you're worried they'll change their group of friends, you won't approve of what they go and do at night, and you'll be disgusted when they start learning things online that you kept far from their sight. We'll convert your children, yes, we will, reaching one and all. There's really no escaping it, because even Grandma likes RuPaul. The world's getting kinder, Gen Z's gayer than Grinder. We're coming for them, we're coming for your children. The gay agenda is coming home. The gay agenda is here. And I think this puts into words what you've hinted at, what maybe you've guessed, what maybe you've felt, what maybe you've seen. And the good news is there's still time to draw a line. There's still time to do something about it for your family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We won't serve the gay agenda. We won't serve perversion. We won't serve lust of the eyes, the lust of life, the pride of life. We won't put our children around under families and children who aren't following and serving the Lord. And please understand this, parents. Don't be naive to think it doesn't take one or two sleepovers or one or two nights in a home that you have not inspected and something can happen where your children's innocence can be taken. Like I said last week, we don't need helicopter parents. We need fighter jet parents that will bust into these situations and take your authority. And understand, I don't have an ax to grind today with a person. I have an ax to grind with principalities, with spirits, with wickedness, and with unrighteousness. That's where my ax is being grind today. So what do we see in this agenda? Number one, if you're taking notes, is there's this push for everyone to come out of the closet. Come out of the closet. We should never 
celebrate something that we're to be ashamed of. We should never celebrate adultery. We should never celebrate murder. We should never celebrate fornication. We should never celebrate sexual perversion. We should not be proud to celebrate sin. Number two, we see that rights are demanded of. Don't you see this in this movement that there are rights, civil rights that are trying to be demanded for? On July 4th, we know we celebrate our independence. And in the Declaration of Independence, it says that we are given uh, rights from our creator, right? That our rights come from God. Now, let me ask you this. If our rights come from God, and this is a a founding uh, document in our country, then does God ever give us rights to sin? Does God give us rights to sin? The answer would be no. Now, a nation can give rights regardless if the word of God calls it sin or not. But this is where, as a Christian, your allegiance to the cross and to the person of Jesus and to your faith always has to supersede your allegiance to a civil right or to nationality. That your walk with God has to come first. Your faith has to come first. And that we're seeing rights given that are clearly and blatantly sinful in the eyes of God. In 1929, sodomy in our country would actually be punishable by death. If you didn't know that, it was up till 1929. That was a law in our land. In 1952, the American Journal of Health said that homosexuality was a mental illness that could be treated. So is homosexuality being a mental uh, health issue that could be treated? In 1953, Uh, it was actually law of the land that homosexuals couldn't serve in the government because they were labeled as a security risk, according to the Journal of Mental Health. We also see, fast-forwarding to the Clinton administration, it introduced a law that said, don't ask and don't tell. And wouldn't that benefit someone who had many skeletons in his closet? A don't ask, don't tell. Barack Obama removed this law in 2010, and we started to see um, those of transgender and homosexuality begin to move toward places of office in our country. So we see that our country has moved away from laws that have protected traditional biblical marriage and have now opened the floodgate for laws of sin. This is America in 2023. We also see um, in 2015 is when we know that Barack Obama signed the legalization of same-sex marriage in our country. If you want to ask where did this pride movement come from, um, where do we get Pride Month? In 1969, there was uh, a, a riot that broke out where a gay bar in San Francisco was raided by police that lasted for six days and it's known as the Stonewall Riots. And after these riots, um, from that day forward to commemorate um, the successful riot, is they began starting Pride Month. And so San Francisco would celebrate Pride Month uh, from that day forward. And in 1975, San Francisco had its first elected homosexual 
politician, Harvey Milk, who then wanted to put a symbol to the movement, which is then the rainbow flag, and requested that a designer by the name of Gilbert Baker uh, create a flag to commemorate this movement. And this is where you get the rainbow and you get the pride flag. Uh, You can go and you can do Google those names and do some research and see the perversion of even uh, the rainbow. So we see that these rights are being demanded. And we see that when rights are being demanded here, that as their rights are being demanded, your rights are being infringed upon. If you are a woman, if you are uh, a woman in women's sports, you would see a man who identifies as Leah Thomas, uh, who even, who won this, whatever race it was, uh, whatever swim meet it was, um, I actually saw where Michael Phelps commented on this and said a woman, or a man in women's sports is, uh, he said, is like using drugs to have an advantage to compete in women's sports. So if you suck in men's sports, and then you come over here in women's sports, it's like you've juiced yourself up with steroids to get an advantage. And if I'm a woman who has fought for rights, I would be completely... Uh, upset, frustrated, disgusted. And if you even look into, because there was some tie between him and Riley Gaines, the official came and said, you're to get the trophy. You're to get the photo op. Um, And then her rights were taken. You can follow that story. But the reason I'm bringing these things out is you see all throughout culture, these stories and these issues of how they affect your life and how are we to think about it. What I want you to hear about this is these things are always more spiritual than they seem. It's not just face value. It's not just this person is hurt or this person wants to express themselves. There is a demonic agenda at work. And until you understand it and you see it from the eyes of the spirit, you're gonna get caught up in the the fruit of it and not get to the root of it. So things are more spiritual than they seem. You see in, uh, for example, the whole Target fiasco and how Target partnered with a satanic designer and how all of this pride stuff was designed by a, sat- a Satanist. And as you go on this designer and you, if you were to look at some of the other stuff he, he posted, is he said something that Satan uh, is more friendly with pronouns and really brought to light some of the views of the Church of Satan and what they feel about these things. So when you see something like the church of, of, of Satan being more open and welcoming and preferring of this, you would again see a complete opposite to what the church of Jesus Christ should see on these things versus the church of Satan. Amen? Pretty, pretty simple stuff here, but we've got to see the logic through it. So we've got to fight these principalities. And as a doctor, as I've said, when it goes, when it sees a patient and when a patient has cancer, that doctor goes to war with the cancer and not the patient. Amen? So this is what we have to do and this is what we have to see. So what do we have to do? We have to understand, one, it's more spiritual than it seems. Two, we've got to fight the principalities. And three, we've got to take a stand. We've got to take a stand. So how do we take a stand? How do we take a stand? We, yes, fight 
these things in the spirit. We love, we care, we do what as Christians we're called to do, but then we also, like we see, now Target has a target, so you as a consumer can choose where you put your money. These things work. You can choose what you want to buy and what you don't want to support. And again, you can also choose how you vote. Do you want to vote for somebody who is on the payroll for the spirit of Moloch? Do you want to vote for somebody who's on the payroll of promoting sexual perversion? Again, as a pastor, this is how you have to think biblically because many times how you vote, you vote biblically, not politically. And if you will vote biblically, if Christians will vote biblically, then we can see things change and prayerfully have leaders who stand for the word of God. Everybody okay on that one? Okay. Here's my thoughts as well. I honestly believe that we don't have to stick our nose up at people, but we can stick your shoulders out with your chin up. You can square your shoulders, lift your chin without lifting your nose. And Christians have to be careful that we don't go lift our nose at something or someone, but we square our shoulders up, we lift our chin, we show honor and respect, and we articulate the word of God. We articulate and we walk in love, that you can walk in confidence and not cockiness, You can walk in honor and humility at the same time. You don't have to hide away in fear. You don't have to be a spineless snowflake. You can be a strong man and woman of God who stands for purity, righteousness, and love. You can wear your armor. You can wear your armor. Here's what we do, though. Many times we stand up naked. We don't stand in God's armor. We talked about this last week of the importance of taking a stand, that we cannot stand naked, but we've got to stand in salvation. We've got to take the shield of faith. We've got to take the sword of the spirit. We've got to gird our shoes with peace. We've got to do all these things, but many Christians, they stand up unarmed, unprotected. You go in your flesh. You don't go in the spirit. You don't put on Christ, and you perpetuate the mess versus standing in the armor of God. So I want to close with this and understand that you've got to go after the stronghold. There is a massive stronghold in our country, in our nation, and in our church, and strongholds don't get destroyed overnight. Many a times when the stronghold is attacked, you should sense some freedom, you should hear something, you should hear truth and see a light at the end of the tunnel. But many people are married to their strongholds, so when you are married to your stronghold, you feel a personal attack. You feel that you're coming for me, you've hurt my feelings, you've touched my religion, and now I'm unstable. Now I'm emotional, whatever it may be. But you've got to understand that if we are to be a people that crucifies our desires, then the church should be an arena and a gymnasium where we are all wrestling against the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Church should never become, should, has, has become a place where you get a self-help message and I need to feel better to start my week versus no, you need to come and you need to wrestle with your passions, 
with your desires and become more like Christ. So when you hear a message like this, it's been completely lost in translation. Pastors don't preach like this anymore. I've always said I'm an old soul. This new age fluffy stuff, it disgusts me. Because no one has changed through it. It's just a Band-Aid. So number one, don't mistake God's patience for God's approval. Let's talk about the real rainbow, what it means. Don't mistake God's patience for God's approval. If you've believed a lie that God is an angry, vengeful, and wrathful God, that's been a lie given by the world, not by Scripture. Scripture says that God is patient, he is slow to anger, and he is merciful. We say today that God's goodness is running after us. So if we truly believe that God's goodness is running after us, and when we wrestle with these principalities like homosexuality, like transgenderism, wrong and false identities, then we've got to understand that God knows what is best for us, and if his way isn't what I want or isn't my way, I need to submit under the lordship of Jesus and say, even if I don't feel it, his way is still better and his way is right. And it'll take time to wrestle with it if it is a stronghold in your life. So he's slow to anger, he's patient, he wants all to repent. And God is giving a people chance to repent. Aren't you thankful for the Lord's mercy in this day, the mercy on our churches, his mercy on our country, and ultimately his mercy on your life and on mine. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. In other words, just because God gives us free choice doesn't mean we are free from the consequences those choices of sin will bring. God gives us free choice. You can walk out of those doors and do whatever you want to do. But just because you have freedom and just because you made a choice that does not align with God's word doesn't mean you are free from the consequence of a sinful choice. This is why we love his house. We love his people. We love his word because repentance is the very thing that renews us, that transforms us and says, I have made a sinful choice. But the word of God says, if I come to Jesus and repent of my sin, I can be made new and be made clean. But you get what you choose. You've got to choose to repent. Number two, God provides the way of salvation. I love this symbolism. The ark obviously was made of wood. And the cross of Christ was made of wood. Is the ark, the storms came, it set sail into sea. The waves and the storm beat up against that ark. So it was like our sin beating up against Christ on the cross. But we know that Christ took, he absorbed the wrath, he absorbed the anger, and he revealed the love of the Father and his love for us. The ark had one door. Jesus says, I am the door, I am the way, I am the life to the sheep. The ark had one window signifying that we have one word 
we have one gospel. We have one freedom, and his name is Jesus. And there is no mixture with Jesus. You can't have your side chick. You can't have your affair and have Jesus at the same time. And we've been told a lie that you can have all of this mixture in Jesus, and he'll just wink at you. I'm saved by grace, man. Come on. Nothing I do matters. He'll clean me up at the end. It's not the way of Christ. There was one family on the ark, signifying that we are one family in Christ. There is no racism in the kingdom. There is no discrimination. But if you claim Christ, you are a part of that family. And if you follow him and you obey his commandments, aren't you thankful that we are one and that we are united by Christ? Not by skin, not by sin, but by grace. Number three, God doesn't tolerate sin. He punishes it. He doesn't tolerate our sin. And if we think today again that I'll deal with that later, there's another time for that when I'm ready, there should be an urgency once again, especially for us mature Christians, that we give him the deepest places in the parts of our lives that we hide from him. You see the church, especially the evangelical church, from the biggest movements, the mega models, crumbling because of secrets that have been hid behind the pulpit. Judgment comes to the house of God first. I'm telling you, judgment is here. And I pray that... Christ would have permission and room to always shake this house, to shake you and to shake me because eternity depends on it. Your eternity depends on it. If we water down the meaning of sin, we water down the sacrifice that was paid for it. If we water down the meaning of sin, we water down the sacrifice that was paid for it. He is a holy God. Number one. Four, the world has turned the rainbow into an act of provocation. We've taken something that has meant mercy, forgiveness, hope, a promise that he will never flood the earth again. And we've turned it. And as actually you look into the Hebrew meaning, this is very profound of a rainbow. It would actually be in the literary breakdown of a war bow. And this war bow is we're provoking God. It's though we're turning it and we're pulling an arrow of pride back at God. You even look in Revelation, it says that there is a rainbow on the altar of Jesus. And I can tell you it's not a rainbow of pride. It is a rainbow of mercy, of holiness, and of our coming King. So we are provoking God. It was pride that turned Lucifer into a devil and turns humanity into rebels. And we'd be reminded of that today. What was it that Satan fell? It was pride. And many times we say, well, I have nothing to do with Satan. I'm aware of his tactics and his devices. 
But the thing is, we don't have to believe in him if we behave like him. And Satan's number one vice is pride. I pray we don't provoke God. This is why the church exists. Because Jesus, once and for all, dealt with our sin. But we have to choose to surrender it, to bring it to his altar, and allow him to deal with it. And I'm telling you today, even to the point of where we see in Sodom and Gomorrah of Lot's wife, only four were saved in Sodom and Gomorrah. And I pray today that you not take the spirit of Lot's wife where there was a linger that turned into a longing, that you don't look at this movement and say, oh, you would say they need Jesus, that you don't get caught up in distorted empathy, but you bring the compassion, love, and action of Jesus and say there is a greater love that you don't know of. There is a greater love that if you will live surrendered and yielded, there is a man whose name is Jesus who died for your sin, who will give you new life, who will change your story. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be nasty. But you have to stand. Don't cave. Don't worship pride. Pride always gives rise to perversion. I leave you with this graphic today and then we're going to pray. Here's where we see the difference, if you put this up, of the movement. And I call it a sex religion because it is a religion. It's worshiped, it's adored. But here you see it's all about self expression where the cross says it's self-denial. Here you see it's self-worship, where Christianity is worshiping God, spirit, and in truth. Here you see it's about man becoming God. But thank you, Jesus, for Christmas in the incarnation, God became man. The alphabet sex religion says you were born this way, the gospel says you've got to be born again. The sex religion says, I am perfect. Christianity says, no, you are a sinner in need of grace and mercy, healing. This is all about self-affirmation. The gospel is about repentance. I'd add one more. That it's holy pilgrimage, it's pride month, but we have a day of resurrection known as Easter, where Jesus conquered hell, he conquered death, he conquered the grave, he conquered every demon in the underworld, every demonic oppression, neo-paganism, paganism, every agenda has been conquered and sits under the feet of Jesus, amen. So we are not left powerless. And Jesus says as we Prepare to take the body and blood. You can prepare to take on the seat back in front of you today.
Jesus says that we're to remember him. You see, our country, our culture has forgotten about him. This is why these movements can be met with such velocity and parades in the streets because God is put on the back burner. He's forgotten. Church is just a religious, stingy, dead hour on Sunday now. When it should be the seat and summit of your faith, it should be the celebration that death has been defeated, that you have an eternal home in Christ, and that you are beckoned and called to good works because of the gift of grace and salvation that's been given to you. So what are you doing with his body? What are you doing with salvation? Are you allowing mixture and idolatry and perversion in? Allow him to shake you up today. Allow him to shake your family up today. It'll be messy and it won't be fun, but it's the very thing that can save your soul and save your family. And trust that God has put in you by his spirit what you have need of. But it comes first through adoration of him, of self-denial to him. This is not just some little cute part of the service. This is what should unite our faith of millennia of the patriarchs before until the coming day of Jesus is his body and his blood. It's not a sermon that changes you. It's Jesus that does. And if you need healing in your body today, if you would bow your head and begin to pray. If you need healing in your body today, if you need forgiveness of your sin, if you are fighting same-sex attraction, if you are confused in your gender, if you are enslaved to pornography, if you have a lustful eye, if you are caught up in greed, if you have disordered desires that no one knows about, there's one who does, and Jesus knows. And we don't want to grieve his heart. We don't want to grieve his spirit. And he says, I am merciful, I am kind, and I am here to touch you and to set you free. I am the bondage breaker. Father, we repent of our sin, sin done in ignorance, sin done, and we were prideful in what we did. We've celebrated it, we've conditioned it, we've groomed it, we've made it a part of our lives, we've adjusted to it. Jesus, today I pray in your hour of mercy that we judge ourselves before there is a final judgment on our lives. We don't want to be caught up in wood, hay, and stubble. We want our lives to be gold, silver, and precious stones. We will not play church. We are not building a church to be cute, to have some platform to be noticed on social media. We are building a church that would glorify you and you alone. It is not about us. It is about you. We wrestle with our pride. We wrestle with our vices. And we say, come, Jesus, set us free. Deliver us from the bondage of sin, from the presence of sin. One day we will be delivered from the presence of sin. But until that day, we will fight we will trust you and we will war with
the passions. We will crucify the sinful desires as we put on Christ. We break the body today, his body broken for us, the scripture says. We take of his body, his strength, his holiness, his goodness today, his forgiveness of sin. Father, as we take the cup, we trust you wholeheartedly. We thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for our redemption. That we are blood-bought people. And as we take it, we do this in remembrance of Christ and him crucified, his cross, his resurrection, and his coming again. We love you, Lord. We take the cup today. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.